And this morning, we're talking about a very special topic called anger, and we're going to keep the smiles going. But you might remember, and, and if you haven't been around for a few weeks, that we've been in a short sermon series called Possessing the Heart of Christ. And what I'm doing is I'm simply just talking about issues of the heart that I believe Jesus spoke to his disciples and also now us about that are very important. We talked about dealing with shame. We talked about how to deal with offense. We talked about last week how to for, cultivate a forgiving heart. And obviously, Jesus has a whole lot to say about all of these things. And I'm going to continue basically um, from the sermon I shared two weeks ago, which was called Possessing an Unoffendable Heart. Today, my message is called Defying an Angry Heart. And the reason that I'm taking a second step from the place of offense, because I have found, you have found, that offended people are almost always angry people. And so this issue is very important. And you can open your Bible to about 16 different places. <laughs> a couple of you are like, oh. <laughs> yes, I am. I've got a lot of passages today, but I think it will be extremely helpful. So let's pray together as we open God's word. Father, we thank you this morning for your word. And we thank you that your word has the power to transform our lives. And so as we gather together in your presence, what we ask you is that you would lead us, you would speak to us. And Lord, even while we're here, that you would change and transform us. That we believe as your people, when we gather together, your manifest presence is here and you're able to do what we are not. And that is to change us, to speak to us, to help us to understand what we need to know and what we need to do. And so we sit and stand here today and we ask you to move in a mighty way as we open your word as a church. In Jesus' mighty name, God's people said... Amen. Yes, you did. Yes, you did. As you came in today in your program, you'll notice the teaching notes, and I'm going to read the introduction that I wrote on your teaching notes because I like it. And here's what it says. If you were to do some simple research on the topic of anger, you would quickly find that not all of the sources agree on what it is and how to deal with it. It's no wonder why we tend to get confused on the, on the issues like this when we live in a culture of differing sources and opinions. To state it plainly, anger is a strong feeling of displeasure aroused by an offense, which typically causes a corresponding action. And might I say about that sentence right there that every word in that sentence matters. I, I consulted every dictionary you can. I mean, it's, that sentence you can underline, you can take to the bank. It, it, it really matters there. When we get offended or walk through difficult circumstances, it's not hard to get angry. We all deal with the issue of anger to one degree or another. The question is not, do we get angry, but rather, what should we do with the anger that we feel? We must remember that right feelings will always be informed by right thinking, which is why we must be clear on what the Bible teaches about this important topic. If anger was a child, we wouldn't want to put him in the trunk Nor let it control our, or I'm sorry, I just got a little caught by that sentence. Anyhow, if anger was a child, we wouldn't want to put him in the trunk, nor would we want him to drive the car. In other words, we can't avoid our anger, nor let it control our reactions or our responses. If we are to possess the heart of Christ, we cannot deny that anger exists in us, but we must defy its power through us if we are going to be people that look like and act like Jesus Christ. And let me add something to that. As I'm calling this defying an angry heart, I am not teaching in any way, shape, or form to deny that anger exists. That would be foolish. I am teaching us to defy the power of anger that wants to come through us to take action. And as we look through scripture, we're going to find that's actually the biblical approach. Anger is a spectrum word. When I came to Christ, I was 19 years old. I've shared with you a little bit of my story. And I had this friend before I came to Jesus, and, and that, his name was Rage. For whatever reason, I had hate in my heart. I've talked to you about my pain and my wounds. And as a result of that, I had shame. And my reaction, my response was anger and consequently rage. And this is sort of what happened to me. And I hated people, and I had this rage response or reaction uh, to folks in my life because of it. 
And when I met Jesus, he took that rage out of my life. He just took it and exchanged it for love. And I thought that I was delivered from anger. But what I, (laughs) some of you laughed at me. That was awesome. (laughs) That was a moment. I thought that I was delivered from anger. And what I really was, was delivered from rage. But I didn't realize that anger is a spectrum word. And we tend to think about anger in extremes. So if we don't have this extreme active anger in our life, it's like, I don't struggle with anger. And you'll have like a married couple. You have one spouse facing east, the other spouse facing west in the same bed. And you can freeze meat in between them, but nobody's angry. (laughs) I'm not angry, Pastor Ben. He's angry. She's angry, but I'm not angry. It's like, okay. And we tend to think because it's not the extremes, but it's a spectrum word. It can start with irritation. It can start with annoyance. What do we think that stuff really is? It's annoyance, irritation, and we see that be the beginnings of anger that starts to come through us that's undealt with, and then it can, it can go all the way into destructive behavior. And I want to present it to you like that because even in its smallest forms, I don't believe that we're able to control it if we're not going to deal with it. And the point that I'm trying to make and all that I'm going to say over these several weeks, including today, is that we want to be people that look like and act like Jesus. And in order to do that, we've got to get a hold of the stuff that tends to be the most destructive in our life. And I can honestly tell you, and I believe you know this, that anger is one of the most destructive responses and reactions from a human being. I... um. Heard a pastor tell a story one time, and I was thinking actually about the issue of anger while he told it. He talked, to, he talked about, he was sitting in his kitchen one day, and in his kitchen he had a dining room table. He was sitting at the table talking to a friend, and his three-year-old son, let's call him Johnny, walked into the kitchen, and basically like kids do, he walks right up to the kitchen counter to see what's on the counter, and little Johnny saw that there was something up there, and the pastor said in slow motion, he watched his little three-year-old son reach his hand up and grab a butcher knife by the blade. The true story. And he said, little Johnny grabbed it and he starts walking with it. And the dad said, I just, the pastor's like, I didn't know what to do, but I knew if I flipped out that it would have been serious consequences. So he slowly got up, looked around quickly, and he saw on the table right in front of him, there was a bowl of shiny red apples. And he grabbed one of the apples and he said, Johnny, I want you to have the apple. And he said that his son dropped the blade, mesmerized by the apple, and went up and grabbed the apple instead. And I thought this was a perfect story to illustrate what it is that we need to be thinking about when we talk about the issue of anger. What I believe is the father wants to exchange something that can be very dangerous in our life for something that is better. He wants to give us the fruit of the spirit in place of this very dangerous dagger that we call anger that has been so destructive in our lives. Come on, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, and self-control. I think there's one more, but you know what I'm saying. He wants to exchange how we feel for what his word says. This is what we're talking about today. He wants to give us a divine exchange. How many lives have been ended, relationships damaged, hearts been broken through our anger? It's a very destructive thing. The Father is calling us to exchange our anger for something even better. Here's what James chapter 1, verse 19 says through 21. This you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness and humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. And I want to mention when he says save your souls, he's not talking about salvation through Jesus Christ. That's not the kind of salvation. Sometimes the word salvation in the Bible is used for deliverance. It's able to deliver us from these kinds of destructive patterns and sins in our life. This is what he's talking about. The word is able to do that. We're going to come back to this passage in a little bit, but let me mention two things that James says right here in this passage. Number one, our anger does not and will not produce godly results. The anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. And I want you to think about that. Unless you think I haven't thought through this or... I, I, mean, I remember one time when I was doing research on anger, I, I went onto YouTube, 
which I don't necessarily suggest. But I went on YouTube and I listened to about 15, 12 to 15 messages on the issue of righteous anger. And it was a really interesting, it was a really interesting topic because at the time God was dealing with me on the issue of anger. And I remember listening to a bunch of sermons that would basically allow for anger to be kind of this positive thing at times. And I thought, okay, you know, I've never found that to be the case in my life. My anger has always been very destructive. It's been very hurtful. It's been very harmful. I'm a pastor. I have people come into my office all the time, and I've seen seriously how bad anger is. I worked in prisons for two, two and a half years, and I've watched what one night of anger, one response, one reaction of anger can really do. How many divorces I've walked with. Even at 39 years old, I've walked with two, three, more, three times more people through divorce than marriage. I mean, this is a reality. And a lot of it, you just anger it, 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 is that secondary emotion. It's that reaction that comes out of our life. I have watched it happen again and again and again. And I've seen this happen. And I've asked my wife. My wife and I have talked about this deeply because we so desire for deliverance in our home. We want the Lord to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And so I would ask my wife, I would say, Bridget, <laughs> when can you pinpoint a moment when anger was positive in your life. And I sent her into like a week of thinking about it. It was great. <laughs> and her and I really prayed about this. We really thought about it. Is there godly results as a result of it? Is it something that I'm not able to handle? And here's the reality is, is that anger isn't sin when it's inside of us, when we're thinking about it, when it comes to us. It's more of an indicator. But it's not a good motivator. Anger is an indicator. But we should be extremely cautious with how we feel. Anger, number two, anger as an action is called filthiness. Look what he says. He says, the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. And look at the next verse. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness. And yes, you guessed it. He is calling anger filthiness. And I'm going to show you five other verses throughout the Bible that do the same thing that I'm just saying right here. And we're going to get into it. Everybody say, it's going to get deep. <laughs> Pastor Ben, I didn't know you were going to talk about anger today. I might have skipped this one. I might have came back next week. Sometimes in church, I've noticed this, and maybe you've never had this happen before, but I've noticed that we tend to look for what we already agree with and agree with it. And any other idea that maybe challenges what we think, it almost offends us. But I talked to you two weeks ago about having an unoffendable heart. And I actually, if, if, anything, if anything that I say challenges where you're currently at, well, let's just obviously up front say maybe we can grow and maybe the scriptures will teach us something that we might not yet know. And you might read the word, I read the word every day, but I am constantly challenged by the word. And, and I've had a lot of people talk to me about this issue. And I, I just want to present something to you. I want to present some thoughts to you this morning that maybe you haven't thought about. Maybe they will challenge you. I hope it does. I want the word to challenge us. We just prayed for that, didn't we? And so with a smile on my face as we continue, what I want to do is two things that I've already done in some of my other messages. Number one, I want to talk to you about the sources of the angry heart. And then number two, I want to talk to you about the path out of the angry heart. And so why is it that we get angry? And it's very similar to the issue of offense that we've already discussed. Number one is we are sinned against. Obviously, this is what our anger is stemmed from. You know, somebody will sin against us, whether that's a legitimate offense or not. It could be our perception, but either way, we get sinned against, and that actually can give rise to this issue of anger in our life. You'll remember Matthew chapter 18, verse 21 through 22. It says, Then Peter came and said to Jesus, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me, and I forgive him? Up to seven times. And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but 70 times seven. Peter, 490 times in one day. This is a ridiculous number that obviously is supposed to break all limitations and restrictions. And Peter certainly was challenged by this. But I think this is an interesting passage because Jesus gives the prescription of forgiveness. He has this whole conversation in Matthew 18 about forgiveness. Peter's challenged by it, so he says something. And I think, of course, Peter was asking Jesus... How many times should I forgive in a day? And he says seven because rabbinical teaching taught that you forgive three times but not four. Like there was a limitation that was given. That was a typical thing that was taught and said. So Peter, when he says seven times, he's thinking, I'm pretty generous. I'm pretty gracious. He's smiling in front of the other disciples. Yeah, that's me. I'm Peter. I'm, a, I'm the one that takes the first step, guys. Walked on water. You know me. And this is, this is Peter. And so he's thinking that. And then Jesus one-ups him and says, no, 
490 times. It's not about how many times, it's about the It's about the condition of your heart. It's about you being a forgiving person. Jesus gives the prescription of the offense or the sin, but when we don't deal with the offense that's in our heart, it gives rise to anger. And that's the reality is when things lie dormant or undealt with, they do begin to churn inside of us and what comes out of us can be quite scary. It's amazing because I think sometimes we will actually think, I'll never do that. And I would never say that. The longer we do this, The less we deal with the things in our life and give those things to Jesus, the more we could do the thing that we never thought we would do. I am baffled at times when I walk with and talk with people how they think that they would never, ever do something, never conceive of me being the person that would do that. I don't trust my flesh at all. And it scares me to think that some of us would trust our flesh and act like we would never do that. I've told you I've I've met with many people in prisons. I was in prison ministry for a couple years. I've sat with murderers. I've sat with every, and every other kind of sin you can think of. I've sat with, with people who have done these terrible things that are on the newspaper, and we tend to ostracize them. But you know what I've learned? A lot of folks in prison had a bad day, had a bad night, had a bad moment, and they allowed what happens to a lot of us in seed form to just get to that place where they lashed out. And they're no different than I am other than they had that one bad day, and all they're left with now is regret. And I... I humanize folks and I realize this is the reality, is the flesh is powerful. And I think Peter asked this question to Jesus and he's like, at what point is me being offended and upset and angry justifiable? I mean, at what point? And I think our flesh wants to know, isn't there a point where I can just be upset? I mean, isn't there a point where I can just be angry? And this is Jesus' response, 490. Forgiveness is the prescription And it doesn't answer every issue that we face. I've had several conversations, not just recently, but over the years. Well, what about when somebody continues to do it and continues to do it? Well, yeah, we have to sometimes build a fence of boundaries in relationships because folks will continue to sin and they'll continue to offend. But because of the example of Jesus Christ, we always want to build a gate so that reconciliation is possible. But I'm not, I'm not saying we're doormats or, or anything like that. I'm just simply saying Jesus wants us to continue to grow and have forgiving hearts, even when people continue to sin against us. But if we don't deal with the sin against us, it will turn into unrighteous reactions where anger will take hold. And I'm telling you, as clearly as I can, I, I don't think that it's, it's easily controlled. I don't think that it's easily controlled. So number one is we we get sinned against. Number two, we think that God is angry. Now, I'm going to need a little time here because I think that every now and again, I'll hear people talk about other churches and how other churches are the reason why folks think that God is angry. And that that may be true, okay? I don't don't go to a lot of other churches. Obviously, I go to one church, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) And as far as I'm concerned, I don't hear us talking about an angry God. I mean, there's a reality to judgment and justice that comes from God, and I don't have time to, to discuss that, but what I, what I wanted to say is that even when I'm watching movies, even clean movies, I think even Hollywood portrays God, whatever God, as an angry guy in the sky that's waiting to smash the little people below. I think it's something that's being brainwashed into our kids. I think it's something that we, that we read about, that we see, that's just a very often narrative about God, no matter what God we're talking about. And I think it translates to the God of the Bible, the God that we serve. And so it's an interesting thing to think about in our culture, in our day, in our age, and sometimes in church, we have this idea that God is the angry guy in the sky. And I think it's important that we need to understand what the Bible actually teaches. In the New American Standard Version of the Bible, the word anger or angry is used 364 times. 344 times in the Old Testament, 20 times in the New Testament. That's that's a little bit more in the Old Testament. It's important to note that a lot of the Old Testament references refer to the anger of the Lord. There are some instances where it talks about a person got angry, and then obviously I couldn't find one instance in the Old Testament where a person got angry, a person, and there wasn't some horrible action that followed. I couldn't find it. Maybe you can... Good searching. 
But this talks about the anger of the Lord, and we want to mention this as we have this discussion. Exodus chapter 4, verse 14 is just an example. It says, Then the anger of the Lord burned against Moses, and he said, Is there not your brother Aaron the Levite? I know that he speaks fluently, and moreover, behold, he is coming out to meet you. When he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. And here's this discussion that God is having with Moses, where God calls Moses to be a spokesman and go and to deliver his people out of Egypt. And Moses has a qualm with that. Moses contends with the Lord. I'm not the right person. And it says the anger of the Lord burned against Moses. And so we see this, the anger of the Lord. And we tend to think, yeah, God's angry. And you see it again and again and again, the anger of the Lord. God is angry with Moses. In Exodus 32, it mentions that God was angry with Israel. You remember they, they turned all of their gold into a calf and they began to worship it. Even after God delivered them out of Egypt and brought them into glorious freedom And it says that Moses and God are up on the mountain and God explains to Moses that what he's about to do, I am about to judge Israel. And Moses says to God, don't do this thing. And God turns from what he said he was going to do. He relents from that. It says that God was angry and he was going to judge justly Israel as a result of it. I'm just bringing up another instance. In Exodus 34 though, It shows where the glory of God passes by Moses, and this is what God says about himself. This is a passage you may want to read. God says about himself when his glory passes by, I am the Lord, slow to anger. You remember James chapter 1 where I read to you that the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God? He tells us, James tells us to be slow to anger. Well, it actually comes from God saying that about himself, and wouldn't you know it? That a song that Moses writes later on, we read about it in Deuteronomy, Moses sings about the Lord, he is slow to anger, abounding in love. It actually comes from where God said that about himself. But what, what are all these references to the anger of the Lord in the Bible? Doesn't it seem like God's an angry God, like he's really angry? And Ben, it says that Jesus was angry too. I know you're thinking it. And in Mark 3, 5, it says Jesus was angry with the religious leaders because of the hardness of their heart toward the people. It also shows in Matthew 21 that Jesus cleanses the temple, and it seems that he was very angry about what is happening. But here's what I want to share with you, okay? This is the challenging part. There are many passages in the New Testament that tell us to put away our anger, and I'm going to show them to you, and I don't want you to blink when I put them on the screen. I want you to read them and receive them. But sometimes people will come up to me and they'll say, well, Ben, Jesus was mad in the temple, and if he was, I should be. I just want you to know that's the Grand Canyon that we just jumped there. The moment that Jesus cleanses the temple, did you realize it's a messianic moment? It's actually a prophetic fulfillment. It's a moment where Jesus, it says, zeal for your house will consume me. Jesus comes into the temple. He cleanses it. It's a misrepresentation of his father and God wanting to reach out to not only Jew, but also Gentile. I have a message on it. It's online. You can read it or you can listen to it. I have a message all about that one. But it's a prophetic fulfillment moment. And to take that moment where Jesus got mad and to suggest that's going to be some kind of motivation for a lot of our tiffs, I think that's a chasm to jump personally. And when I sit with people, a lot, of what, a lot of what Christians do, this is what we do, because sometimes we're very blind to our own sin, is we use stories in the Bible that have this monumental moment to prove that we can be upset with somebody, because I'm righteous. Here's the question I have. God, well, here's what my statement, and then a question. God is perfect. God is a perfect being. When it says in the Bible, he felt anger, We also believe that whatever he did after that was not him lashing out like he was compulsive. Like he just lashed out because he couldn't control himself. He is a perfect being. He is able to feel anger and act righteously in the same moment. Here's my question. Are you? I don't know if you have an answer. I'm just... I'm just saying, if your answer is yes right away, we would have a challenging hour conversation over coffee. Because what it tells me is we trust ourselves too much. We trust our flesh. I question, 
my ability to feel anger and in the same moment act righteously. I question that in myself, and I'm challenging every one of us to question that and not to use these big stories in the Bible to somehow be like a proof text in our life that we can be angry and we're righteous in our action toward another individual. Because when I read about Jesus, he talks about praying for our enemies. How does that fit? Pray for those that despitefully use you. How does it fit with Jesus going on the cross saying, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And when Jesus actually explains to Thomas, he says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. This is actually who God really is. First John chapter 4 says, God is love. It's his essence. It's his nature. He does feel anger. God does feel anger. But he's not emotional and compulsive like us. He can feel and act righteously in the same way moment. The question is, can we? And I'm just trying to get you to not trust that part of you so that you would give your anger to God and whatever he gives you as a righteous motivation that you could exchange it and then we could step out and act and respond more like Jesus. Because I have seen anger be such a destructive thing in in our world. And don't you believe that our world is really angry? And I think people even want to believe that God is angry. God is angry. So I can be too, right? Yeah. No. God is a perfect being, and he is far more capable of handling things that we are not. And so we just have this sensitivity to God. God, you are holy. You are righteous. You are perfect. And when I read about you feeling anger and then you acting, I realize you're not lashing out. I realize that the God that would send his own son and say to us in Romans 5, while we were yet sinners, he died for us. Like that was his remedy. It wasn't just judgment or his whatever we might call justice. It was that he was willing to give his all to bring us back. That's the God that we're talking about. And so whenever we read about the God of the Old Testament and people struggle with the God of the Old Testament, it's the same God. And so if you struggle with certain situations or circumstances in the Old Testament, here's what I would encourage you to do. Study. Why did this happen? Why does it say this? Every person, and I say this with all due respect, every person that has ever struggled with Old Testament scriptures, when they come to me and they sit with me in my office, I have found the majority of them are not patient in the study of the context of those passages. And so I'm always saying, hey, why don't we take about three weeks, and nobody likes to hear this, (laughs) and let's look at this whole story, and then what I want to do, let's play God. I know this is going to sound crazy, just... Give me grace, guys. Week five, come on. <laughs> and then I want, I want if, if, if you have a problem with the story in the Old Testament, usually we have a problem with it because we think that we know better, but we're not saying it that way, right? We think that we would know that there's a better way. So here's what I tell people. If you study the passage and you think you could come up with a better way of doing it than the passage suggests about God, then let's, let's talk about alternative paths. It's like the movie that has various endings. Let's go ahead and do that together and see if we can come up with a better way. But we can't take it out of the context of God being God overall. So we've got to remember like we got to think like that macro and not just not just micro we've got to think about justice for all and not just one and if you if you're a parent of multiple kids you just know sometimes sometimes you got to bring about justice and it affects the whole family that's what sin does i think i got further away than i wanted to (laughs) sometimes in order to justify our the anger in ourselves we have to confuse ourselves with god God is love. He does feel anger. He's not an angry God. The Bible calls us to be like Jesus. Jesus laid down his life. We're going to read some passages today. Number three, we think we can control our anger. And I'm not saying that you can't. I'm just saying we should be questioning ourselves at times. Not to allow anger to take a pathway in us so quickly. Be slow to anger. Right? Be cautious about it. It's an indicator, not a good motivator. The Bible tells us to be angry, right? I've had that. The Bible says be angry. Ephesians 4.26, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and do not give the devil an opportunity. I've actually heard people use this to justify their anger, but it actually means the opposite because it's a quote from Psalm 4.4. Look what it says in the NIV. In your anger, do not sin. Acknowledges that you have anger, but then it says don't sin. What does that mean? Don't allow action to come out of that as a motivation. In your anger, when you feel it, don't allow yourself to let it go. And then he goes into saying, do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. In other words, deal with it. 
because it is destructive and it gives the devil a foothold. I, I want that to sink in this morning. If we allow anger to fester, the Bible is saying that it could open a door to something that we don't want. I've given this illustration before, but if you were to go on vacation, I want a vacation, (laughs) not from you. (laughs) If you were to go on vacation and you leave all of the windows of your house open, all of the doors of your house open, and you go away for two weeks, everything's open. It's just open to the world. Breeze, Breeze is coming in and coming out, just breathing. In two weeks, what good thing do you think would be in your house when you come back? You'd have some excavating to do. You'd have some kicking out of some rodents to do, right? There would be nothing good in your house. And I think sometimes when we let anger fester, what we're doing is we're letting the windows and the doors of our life open. And it says, don't let the sun go down on your anger because you'll let, give the devil a foothold. It's a spiritual warfare issue when we don't deal with things and when I say deal with things, we give them to Jesus, and he exchanges, he exchanges it for something better. He does. I don't think we can really control our anger very well, and I think we need to choose to do something with it, and I think that's what the scripture teaches us. Number four is we see injustice in the world. This is something I get all the time. Hey, Ben, what about injustice? It seems like our culture suggests that anger and action go together as it relates to injustice. And the narrative is sort of like this. Again, depending on where you get your truth from or where you get your views from, the narrative sounds like this. If you're not angry or upset about something, then you're probably complicit in part part of the problem. But this is such a false idea because the truth is, is what we're saying is that you only care if you're angry, but you do not need to be angry to do what is right. Are you telling me that we have to be angry to do what is right? What's really controlling us if that's the case? What, we have police officers and we have judges and they are the ones that bring about justice. I know we have a broken system at times, but we have good police officers and we have good judges as well. Do you want your police officers and your judges to be angry as they execute justice? No, you want them to be level-headed, clear-minded, and fair. Isn't that true? You want them to know what is right and execute judge, justice in a right way. That's what we all want. We do not want angry police officers, I'm pretty sure. And so why would we allow ourselves to think that that's who we should be when we execute justly, when we do righteousness? We don't want to be like that either. We don't want to allow that in our life because it would be like us being the judge that's angry. How well are we going to actually execute righteousness and justice? I think it's a false idea. I'm not a pacifist. I'm a protectionist. If somebody comes, breaks into my home at night, I'm not going to get on the ground and pray. <laughs> Just being honest with you. After I apprehend such a person, I'm going to preach the gospel to them. <laughs> you know, that's going to happen. And then I'll pray, you know, in tongues or whatever, because I don't know what, what to pray. I will pray for them after I, after I apprehend such a person. But the reason that I would defend The reason that I would apprehend or whatever I might do is not because of my anger towards that person. It's because of my love for my family. That's the reason that I engage the way that I do. One day I was was on my way to Walmart. And and I I love Walmart. I know people talk bad about it. But they just got everything. And the price seems to be right. And you just meet everybody there. It's It's just awesome, you know. And so I just feel more normal when I go. I'm like, this is, this is real life right here, uh, for real. So I, I go there. I was one day, now check this out. In, in my last church, we were actually about to have a racial reconciliation conversation, and we got Dr. Brenda Salter McNeil to come to our church just to talk to our staff. So just like 20-something of us, and we got her to come down, and she's awesome. And so we're just about to have this conversation of racial reconciliation. Now, that's part of the conversation I want you to know when I tell this story. So me and my friend, one hour before that conversation happens, we go to Walmart, and there's this white guy, and you know, Walmart sells everything. They, they sell bark and bags, and this guy is sitting outside, this white guy, on bark. He's just sitting on the bark. This Asian guy walks by him, and he starts to yell racial slurs at this Asian guy. Now, you know, you can imagine what those words were. I won't say them. I will never say them, but he was yelling racial slurs at this Asian guy. The Asian guy kept walking by. And I'm walking up, and I'm just dumbfounded at this, at this picture, okay? I'm just dumbfounded at what's happening right now. 
And I watched all kinds of folks, black, white, Asian, Hispanic, they all heard this guy say it, and everybody walked by the guy and walked into the store. But Ben Dixon sometimes can't hold back, and I'm just letting you know, <laughs> my wife will attest to this, I, I'm in sanctification, I'm not fully, you know. So I see this guy yelling this out, and I see the confusion on the other guy, and I don't think I'm supposed to speak for him, by the way. I, I'm not prideful enough to think that. I just couldn't help myself. That's my problem. So I walk right up to the guy and I go, sir, are you okay? He goes, what? I go, sir, are you, are you, are you okay? This doesn't seem like you're okay right now. Do you know what I'm saying? And he gets off the bark and literally says to me, whoa, whoa, before you wake the lion. I'm like, okay, I think he thinks we're about to fight here. In that moment, the Asian guy turns around and starts walking behind me. And I'm like, sir, I'm not going to fight him. I just want you to know, like, we're not ganging up on the dude. He's wrong, but I'm just... You know, for your sake. Okay, so we're talking, and the guy goes, sir, I know that guy. I'm just saying those things. It's a joke. I know him. I'm like, sir, I don't think you know this man. He looks like you do not know him. He goes, yeah, I know him. You don't know what you're talking about. I go, sir, I just care about seeing if you're okay. Are you okay? (laughs) You don't seem like you're okay. I think, sir, what we need to do is we need to walk off the property. I just think we need to diffuse the situation. So how about we do that? And he's like, well, okay. And so him and I walk, and I got my hand on his shoulder lovingly, you know, like a good brother in church. (laughs) Sir, absolutely. I think the best thing that we could do right now is we could just walk past Starbucks and just keep going, sir, because I want to make sure that you're okay. (laughs) And this, this is me. This is what I did. And so I walked the guy successfully off the property. Now, I didn't tell him that my friend that was with me was packing, but that was... It's funny, but I'm actually being honest. Like, I wasn't packing, so you can't get mad at me. But my friend, it was, it was just comforting to know that. <laughs> I did want to share it with you. I did want to, I want to be honest with you. My friend had a little 38, and, you know, all right. So, you know, pastors in the hood, you know, that's how we roll. That's how we roll. I tuck the stinger. I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. I'm just saying. Some people don't like the gospel. So, I'm just, sorry, I'm having fun. It's not funny. Um, I want to say something to you, and I, and I want you to hear me on this. I watched two dozen people walk into Walmart. I wa- every kind of person, like I said, every kind of person. All of them looked mad. All of them looked angry, and nobody stopped to say anything. And this is what I think. You know what I think? I think they popped out their phone and they're like, man, this racist white guy, blah, blah, blah. And they posted because you got to post if you care, right? Because if you care about something, you got to post about it. Because that's what makes you care in this world, right? If you don't post, you don't care. But anger didn't make anybody stop. It wasn't a good motivation. I stopped not because I wanted to deck him because I don't think that would have achieved the righteousness of God. Thank you, James. I stopped because I wanted to diffuse the situation and racism, not even as a joke. It's not funny. I'm just letting everybody know right now, online people, we love you. If you ever say a racist joke in front of me, I will not laugh and I probably will correct you right there. It doesn't work. It is, this kind of division is demonic. It's not funny. It's not okay. And I think we need to be people who lovingly stand up and speak up and say something, but it's not our anger. But it's not anger. That's why I studied Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s life. I love his life. And we've scrubbed, history books have tried to scrub the gospel out of his story. But he was a man that followed Jesus Christ. He was a man that followed Jesus, and he stood up for what was right, but he always moved in the opposite spirit. He was not a perfect man, but he was a great man, and he sought to follow Jesus, and the history books can try to scrub the gospel out of his life, but we know that's not the case. I am inspired by the people that are willing in the face of adversity and injustice and difficulty to rise up in an opposite spirit, but it is not the people that are just angry and have these visceral reactions that we read about and go, I am so inspired by that life. I am so inspired by, by, by the anger that came out of that. No, we're not. We read the other stories and we think that's the way I ought to be because that's who we see in Jesus. 
I'm just telling you, I don't believe anger stops, and unless we deal with it, we're not going to exchange it for love, which actually does respond. It was love that sent Jesus to the cross. It was love that sent Jesus from heaven to earth. It's love. It's love that lays itself down for another person. It is love. I do not believe people will go the distance, turn the cheek, and do what is right for the people in front of them unless they have God's love. I just don't think it happens. I don't think it happens. Number five, we allow worldly philosophy to usurp foundational theology. And yes, that rhymed, and I do like it. (laughs) But it's true. Humanism does not work. When I preach, I want you to know, I preach a cross that is effective to transform the heart. And as Pastor Craig shared with us during communion, it, it, it's, it's, or I think it was Jonathan actually, as we sang Build My Life, it's not a one and done, it's an everyday surrender to the person and work of Jesus Christ in our life. But when we surrender, we have a real exchange. God puts in us what we need to live out what the scriptures teach. We need the Holy Spirit to be like Jesus. We need his power, we need his word, or we're just gonna go on in the flesh. We need him in order to act this way. I am preaching something that is a standard that we cannot achieve unless we reach into God every day of our life. It really does, being a Christian for a long period of time does not automatically mean we're mature. What it means is we should know better. (laughs) What it means is that we should know that we really need Jesus. Pastor Ben, I've been a Christian 30 years. Then you should know that you need Jesus more today than you did when you first started. That's what it means. Because you know your failings. When Apostle Paul was at the end of his life, he was like talking about him being the chief of sinners. I mean, that was all the way at the end. He's like, yeah, I'm the chief of sinners. And I've heard people say, well, that's not what he really thought about himself. Well, it's certainly what he said. (laughs) A man that knows he's about to go the way of death. Worldly philosophy doesn't work. Now, here's what I want to say to you in case, just to clear this up. I've got a lot of friends that are counselors, mental health specialists, psychiatrists. I'm not against any of that. But what I will say is there are times where I don't agree with something that is said that comes from that world. My, I am a biblical Christian. I believe in the authority of Scripture. That means if psycho- modern psychology doesn't fit into my theology, then theology usurps philosophy or, or, or psychology. If it doesn't fit, otherwise I'm not a believer in the authority of Scripture. The authority of Scripture means that it is what I believe for the practice of my life. So theology is like a house, and anything that can fit into that house, I'm good with it. I'm good with it. And we do need to have conversations like that. I love counselors, and I love counselors that love Jesus. I mean, I love it. I have great friends that are counselors. But I believe in a gospel that does work. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. But it requires a full surrender. It requires a full surrender. We preach a gospel that requires a full surrender. If you had cancer, and I said to you, I have a pill that will literally cure you of cancer. And you said, okay, and I, I bring it to you. And this is, I mean, this is not a horse pill. This is a dinosaur pill. And you look at that pill and you go, Pastor Ben, I can't swallow that. Can you cut that in half? I cut it in half, and I go, here's the half. And you go, there is no way I can fit that into my mouth. Can you cut that in half? And I go, I'm, I'll cut that in half. And now we're down to a quarter. And then you say, well, I can't, my horse can't even swallow that. That's not even a horse pill. I'll cut that in half again, and we got an eighth now. And now we have a 16th, and now we have a 32nd, and we get, we get to a 64th. Can you do the 64th? And you swallow the 64th. And you go, well, Pastor Ben, I don't, I don't feel any better. You know why? Because it's not the same pill. It's great. Now you can swallow it, but it doesn't cure cancer. And that's what happens with the gospel. We preach a gospel and we change it. We lower it all the way down to this, where God wants to give you heaven when you die and forgiveness for when you sin. We just reduce it all the way down and just do the best you can and live an okay life. And Now, I don't know about deliverance. I don't know about any of that stuff. I don't know if he's really able to change you or sanctify you. I don't really just hold on and keep holding on. And we reduce it all the way down to something that it's not. And we wonder why the power of God is not attached to that version because it never was. Amen. It never was. So, so then when you really preach the gospel and you say God can deliver and God can change and God tra- transforms, you're a target. 
Because you're like, well, I'm not changed yet. And that's why what we have to do is encourage each other to believe the truth. And we need to get caught in the updraft of what the truth says rather than dilute the truth. Because when we dilute the truth, the power of God is not available to the version that the book doesn't even say. That's just the truth. And so what we got to do is revival is when the people of God all of a sudden get stirred for the message of God. We're not changing it. We're just conveying it. And when we get on fire for the real message, something begins to burn and something begins to happen. And God's people begin to get delivered and we start believing again. Say, well, Ben, what about my issues and my problems? I'm not minimizing the pain. We have to walk through life. We have to go through problems. We have to go through difficulties, but we're not alone. And together we lock arms. We're born for the battle. Christians are those that have God in them and upon them. And they walk into the fire and they're not, they're not surprised if they don't come back. <laughs> That's the kind of people we are. I'm talking about anger today. I got way off. <laughs> Humanism does not work. It does not work. We're not the source. We're not supposed to look in for help. We're supposed to look up for help. We reach into God for what we need. If we're dealing with anger, it is God that can deliver us. It is God that can help us. It is God that can take it out of us and give us something better. It's God. I've already taken you over. And I haven't even done the path to define the angry heart. Can you believe that? What happened, Pastor Ben? How do, we get, how do we get to a place where we deal with our anger? I'm going to actually just bullet point these. Number one, you acknowledge your anger. We have to own where we are. Do you have an anger problem? Do you have an issue? Is it, is it stirring in you? Have you been able to get a handle on it? You gotta, you just, we have to be honest. I'm not asking you if you have feelings. We all have feelings of anger. It's an indicator. It's an indicator. But what we do with it is what we're talking about. Sin is not feeling anger. Sin is letting anger release itself through our life because then we can't control it. Once it comes out, it's like a fire and it consumes. That's what I'm talking about. Will you say, well, Ben, where does the Bible say that? I'm glad you asked that question because that's point two. Go ahead. Let's go to some scriptures here. Um, Here we go. Develop a biblical understanding of anger. What does the Bible actually say? Not pictures of Jesus or God, but what does the Bible say to us? And so here's Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. You have heard that the ancients were told, you shall not commit murder, and whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother, this is the internal thing, shall be guilty before the court, and whoever says to his brother, you good for nothing, shall be guilty before the Supreme Court, and whoever says, you fool, shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. I, I think that Jesus is talking about the progression of anger in the heart that actually progresses into stuff that comes out of the mouth and even goes as far as saying it actually becomes actions of our life. And he, in my opinion, he discourages it highly or condemns it entirely. But here's the next verse. Galatians 5.19, this is the fruit of flesh. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envy and drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. And if you go on, it talks about how destructive they are, and the antidote is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Let's go to the next verse. Colossians 3.18, and we could do Ephesians 4.26, and we could go all the way down to verse 31, and it actually says, rid yourself of anger. But this is what he says in Colossians, but now you also put them all aside, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you laid aside the old self. He actually ascribes the anger of the flesh to the old self. And he says, put on Christ, you're new, you have a new nature, you're a new person, you have a new self, be like him. It goes on and on, you could, there's actually other passages, these are the new covenant, New Testament passages that teach us what to do with the anger that we feel. And what I'm saying is you cannot feel bad for feeling it, but you have to exchange it. And when we exchange it, it's like when I, when my, my wife and I get into an aggressive negotiation, She knows me so well that if I go away, not like for a weekend, you know, that doesn't happen. That's not healthy. (laughs) But if I go away even for like 15 minutes and I come back, she knows whether or not I've prayed. In fact, she's questioned me on it. She said, you didn't pray, did you? (laughs) And you know why? Because our heart, when we stand in the presence of God and we talk to God about it, our heart starts to sensitize, doesn't it? It really does. And then you just, you try to fight the fact that you got to humble yourself. Like, God, you know, but she... 
you know, but he, you know, Lord, you know, Lord, you know. And then he just, he, he's probably there just smiling at us. Yeah, I know. I know a lot about you. And the longer it goes on, the more we, all right. And we go back to our spouse and reconciliation and all the good stuff, you know, we make up. Anyways, you know what I'm saying. It's great. Number three, discipline yourself to think Listen before you react. And I'll just go to number four. I, I just, I, that's self-explanatory. Number four, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And that really is what we need, isn't it? Be filled with the Holy Spirit to be what he calls us to be. Let me conclude with, with this. If I could have Jonathan come. Jo- Judah, can you throw me the apple? Let me see if I can. Look at that. Remember that dagger? I don't know if I want to test my limits. I just don't think I want to try to see how long it will take before this becomes a problem, this becomes destructive, this becomes hurtful. I want to exchange it. And the truth is, is that when we deal with our anger, and I know not every situation is going to be covered by what I'm saying today, but when we deal with our anger, God will give us something that we can give to other people that will nourish them that will be fruit for them, that will be food for them. And people are looking at Christians and they want to pick the fruit of their life. But anger and these kinds of things are in the way because when we're angry and resentful and bitter at people, what I have found is that it covers over the fruit of our life. That's what I have found. I have found that it it kind of causes us to be people that God doesn't want us to be. We get kind of callous. We get kind of hard. And the, and the question, it really doesn't matter. The debate doesn't matter. The mat, what matters is are people eating the fruit of Jesus from your life? Do people regularly pick from the tree of your life? That's, that's the challenging, convicting question. I saw a guy at Fred Myers. I was talking. I was there with another guy from our church. We just took a walk, and I stopped, and he, we engaged. And this guy was so angry, angry at God, angry at people, called me a hypocrite I don't know how many times. It, it, I absorbed it all because it's, just, it's not personal. People are angry. And I just absorbed it. Take, it's fine. I don't, you can call me whatever you want to call me. What, what, I, what I want to do is be the kind of person that no matter what happens to me on the outside, I still got fruit on my tree. And that happens when I have a divine exchange with God. That's what happens. And the world wants to know if this is real. They want to know if there's any fruit left on the Christian tree. Anger can be in the way. If it's in the way, let's deal with it. Amen? Let's deal with it. Would you stand? Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for your word. And God, I just pray that you would help us to understand anger. And maybe I didn't cover all of it, obviously. There's so many situations in our life that don't get answered in 40 minutes, 50 minutes. But Lord, you know how to address our heart. You know how your word can be applied to us. I just pray for our church that, Lord, we would right here, right now, just give to you this place. If we're struggling with anger, we would give it to you and you would exchange it. Even supernaturally, you would begin to displace those things. Help us to deal with the stuff that we don't know how to deal with, that we're mad about, that we're angry about, even the ongoing stuff that people haven't stopped. God, give us wisdom. We come to you and we ask you for wisdom and we we ask you to develop that that delicious fruit on our tree. We, we, we want to be Christians that look like the Christ that we follow. And that's what I pray for today. We thank you in Jesus' mighty name. God's people said, Amen. Amen.